this morning we are working through still this series, and we've kind of got into this story in John, the ninth chapter, and we should be able to work out of it by next week. Um, We are at verse 24 right now, and I don't want to spend a, a lot of time, everybody keeps telling me, don't, don't waste a lot of time and recap. Don't waste a lot of time and recap. And I'm like, well, I, I want everybody to stay on board with what we're talking about. So it's important to kind of know where we are in this story. Jesus has gone to the festival of booths and he has gone there. They've tried to try to find a way to kill him, but he goes about halfway through the week. He, he, he kind of works his way through it. He, he even at the end of it says some things that they pick up stones. They're wanting to kill him. And as he's leaving, the Bible says he sees a man who is blind from birth. And he makes mud. He rubs it on his eyes, tells him to go to the pool of Salaam, wash it off, and he'll be healed. And the man comes back and tells everybody, you know, I'm him. Last week, we kind of talked about what some of the characters in this story looked like, the they, the Pharisees, the man himself, anybody remember? The man himself, he's just like, I can only tell you what I know. I can't tell you anything else. And then you've got his parents, and that's kind of where we ended at verse 23 with his parents who are, you know, they're kind of caught between a, a rock and a hard place their whole life is built around being part of the church, the, the synagogue, being part of Jewish life. And if they get kicked out of this, excommunicated from this, they, their business, their world, their life, I mean, if you're excommunicated to the nth degree, you don't even get a funeral. They just take you out into a certain pasture and start burying you there and nobody even shows up. That's, that's how excommunicated you can be. So the fear is always, in fact, we read that the parents did not say who healed him and did not want to get into this. They just simply say, he's our son. Yeah, he was blind at birth. Yeah, but uh, how he got healed and who did it, we don't know. We don't anymore because they had already heard that anybody who mentioned Jesus or held him up as a prophet or the Messiah would be cut off from from by the Pharisees from the Jewish life. So they were afraid. And so there's nobody left but this man. There's nobody left but him. The, the people that knew him, they're like, well, we think it's him. The, his own parents, it's him, but we don't know what happened. This one man is telling his story and standing up to those who unbelieve, to the normal, because he's breaking every normal thing about their life. He gets healed on the Sabbath, which is not normal. Now, it's not a law that you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. This has become a tradition added to the law by the Pharisees. It's always good to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus kept telling them, is it not good to do good on the Sabbath? But what they had done, they had taken it and added so many traditions to where they had just made the Sabbath to where you couldn't comb your hair, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything that looked like work. If you were bleeding, you couldn't, you couldn't heal that person. You just had to kind of put a Band-Aid on it. We'll check on you on tomorrow. Their, their whole world was wrapped around this ritualistic religion And Jesus comes and just totally blows the doors off of it. 
And so this man stands by himself. And we talked a little bit about unbelief, and we talked a little bit about when you meet people who are normal in this world. Normal and unbelief, let me explain to you four things as we kick in. Four things you need to know about how you will interact with normal. Number one, it will always begin as an intellectual conversation. It sounds like it's going to go pretty good. We're just going to talk about God, and we're going to talk about the world. I wish I had a video, and maybe I'll show it to you next week, of a, of a man who's in a church service, and his job is to come in and teach on, on basically uh, uh, Christian life, and he's here, and, and he takes questions. So he is a debater, and so he takes these questions, and this one guy stands up and goes into just detail about how, how, how can you believe the world exists, and how can you believe this, and, how, and he just slowly answers his questions and intellectually just goes through and just says, look, an amoeba, which is just the smallest thing there is, we thought that's as small as it gets, but we found out the DNA of amoeba is almost a thousand letters. He said, let me explain it this way. That if, if you went down, when you say, is there a creator? And I love how he explained this. He said, if you think there's a creator, he said, imagine this. You went downstairs and the Cheerios or, or the alphabet cereal is turned over. Your alphabet cereal is turned over on the table. And, and there's cereal everywhere, A's and B's and, and Z's and all the alphabet. He said, but right in the middle is, is, is a a hole, and in it says, don't forget to take out the trash, mom. Spelled in alphabet cereal. What would you know happened? That mom took the letters and put all of them in line and, and wrote you a note out of alphabet cereal. It's just what you can see tells you that it didn't happen accidentally. You couldn't have just poured it out and that came out. And that's like 14 letters. Take out the trash, mom. He said, now think about an amoeba, which has a thousand letters that have to be lined up just to do what it does. Not 14, but a thousand letters that have to be perfectly in line just for the very smallest thing that there is, not counting you. You, you would wrap around the world multiple times the lettering and the numbers that have to come in to, just to make you. And he asked the guy very simply, he said, what does that tell you? Well, somebody must have created. He said, so then, so then you believe. He said, you're going to have to show me more. See, the thing about it is it begins as an intellectual conversation when you're dealing with someone who is already set in the norm, that is already unbelieving. And when you press them and show them, basically, walk outside. Look at science itself, as I've told you all a thousand times. The reason you don't hear about evolution, the reason you don't hear about that stuff anymore, the reason there's no great debates about it anymore, because science now has caught up to such a degree, they realize, yes, there has to be some kind of creative designer. Now what do you do with it? Well, when intellectual doesn't work, you become emotional. So when you start talking to someone who you start to now 
get on their nerve. You'll start seeing into their expressions. They'll start getting louder. They'll start leaning forward. They'll start getting more angry. They'll, they'll say, well, you know, it's, 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 in fact, during this conversation, he throws off the guy by trying to say, well, it could be a spaghetti monster that made the world. And the guy just smiled and said, spaghetti had to be made. What he was trying to do, this guy, was now that I can't intellectually, I'm going to just throw something funny or make fun of you or, or do something I can do. Have you ever been in these conversations where, well, all you Christians, y'all just do this and this. Hey, do you believe in dinosaurs? They'll throw it off because once they know they can't win an intellectual argument on the thing they want to look smart on, now I have to be able to change the conversation and create some emotion where I get laughter out of everybody. Like, ha ha, yeah, those dumb Christians. Ha yeah, those dumb people, those people of faith. And, and so we just throw some joke or some random thing, or you'd have to be stupid to believe in God, or you'd have to be ignorant to believe in God, and they'll throw these things out because emotion begins to take over. When emotion doesn't work, listen to me, they'll become very verbal. You'll get called names, and, and ultimately, if none of this works, which our society is trying very hard right now intellectually is trying very hard emotionally. They'll shout you down. They'll, they, I mean, they'll, they'll arrest people who stand up for any Christian values, who street corner type preaching, anything, anybody that causes. They'll, they'll do anything they can to shut it down. They, they'll shut down airwaves. They'll call it hate speech. They'll do whatever they can. If they can't shut you down intellectually, if they can't shut you down emotionally by shouting you down or calling you names or doing this, if they can't do it verbally, let me explain the last set. It's always physical. Let me tell you where the church is headed, whether you like it or not. The church is headed headlong into the moment where it will come to a point to where if you decide, you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Not, not just believe in Jesus Christ. No, 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 don't go there. Because everybody believes in Jesus. We've got Christmas going on right now, and everybody loves baby Jesus. No matter what you may think about him, you believe in Jesus, but it's when you stand and say, no, he is the Christ. He is the only son of God. He is the only one. And, and, and if I have a chance, I'll show you Bernie Sanders, who is, who is uh, questioning a guy who is up, up for a, a, a position in the government. And Bernie finally just says, I can't agree with this guy. Why? Because the only question Bernie ever asked him over and over and over is this one question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? He just kept pounding that, and that guy said, well, my belief through the Bible is, he said, that's not what I'm asking. Do you believe you are the only one? He just kept pounding. Because what he was wanting to do is say, yes, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, everybody else goes to hell. Now, he wasn't doing it for information. He was doing it so that he could create hate. Finally, when he asked it in an odd way, the guy said, I'm glad you asked it that way. He said, because... I believe everybody has the right to choose, and I believe everybody has equal rights, and I believe. I, and he goes and says, "But that didn't matter by then because the only answer he wants, he go right back to it. Why? Because listen to me. If they can't get you to compromise that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the only begotten Son, the only way. Ultimately, that's what we'll get to here in a few weeks. When I talk about being perfectly abnormal." 
The highest level is where you will stand and you will say, Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Think how strange that sounds in this world today. Even Oprah Winfrey going to laugh at you. Because she will tell you, are you saying it's the only way? Yep. It's the only name? Yep. There's got, that, that can't be right. There's got to be multiple ways. Nope. There's only one name and one way. And listen to me. The further you go down the path, the tighter it will become. Now go with me to verse 24. Let me show you what this looks like. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. They they say, give God the glory. We already know Jesus is a sinner. We're not even listening for information. We've already made up our mind, and and the way they ask the question is so important. This is not just simply give God the glory for what happened. It's a miracle. Give God. That's not what they're saying. He knows what they're saying, and the Pharisees know what they're saying. Go with me in your Bibles to Joshua, Joshua 7 and verse 19. What they're doing is, is they're pulling up a script, just like I would look at you, and I would say, Kenneth, come on now. Let's be real. What does that mean? Come on, Kenneth. Let's be real. All right. What I'm I'm telling you is that everything you've told me up till now is a what? So come on, Kenneth. Now, come on now, Kenneth. We've been talking about this. Let's be real. Come on. Let's, 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 let's quit. Let's quit. Just, just mincing words. Let's, well, in their culture, they have a phrase. They wouldn't have said, let's be real. What they would have said in their culture is simply this. Give God the glory now. Give God the glory. And what they were saying was from Joshua 7 and 19. Here's what it says. This is when Joshua catches Achan hiding stuff in his tent. And Achan now will be killed, his family's going to be killed and everything. And here's what Joshua says. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell him now what you have done. Do not hide it from him. And do not hide it from me. It's a phrase that they would pull out all the time and they would say, give God the glory because we already know this guy's lying. Go ahead and tell, come on now, tell the truth. Go ahead now. And they are putting this guy in a tight situation. They already said, we know Jesus is a lunatic. We know Jesus is demon-possessed. We know Jesus has all kind of problems. We know we don't even know where Jesus was born. We, we, don't, we don't understand everything. But we know that man is a bad man. So go ahead now and confess and tell us the truth, what really happened to you. Now you know you're eventually going to feel that pressure yourself. The Lord saved me, set me free. Well, now, you really, did he set you free? You probably could have quit that stuff anytime you wanted to. Come on now, let's be real. This imaginary God you got in your head is not what... 
This is what they're saying to this man. Go back with me to verse 24 and 25. Understand that they're on a mad, mad search for one reason, to discredit this man. It's the only reason. They're, they're probing, they're asking questions, but listen to me very carefully. It is not for any purpose but to justify what they already believe. It wouldn't be no different than somebody that comes from a denomination that walks into all seasons. And they've already heard about and they already done made up their mind that, hey, that raising hands and that praising God and all that stuff. And, and God, you know, he, he, he's, he's not hard of hearing. You don't have to. They've got all their training. So they walk in and you know what exactly they see? What they were looking for. Don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's already made up. I just need to find something. And they'll find one woman or something in a church service that, that, that at raises her hands and gets a little emotional. See, I told you all them people are crazy. Now, I know there's none of you in here this morning like that. I'm just saying there's people who do that. And so just like with Jesus, they already had their mind. They're probing. They came asking questions, but only to justify their position already. Here's what he says. So they began to call the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory, for we already know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said to them, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. I love the honesty of this guy. He's not trying to come with some theological. He's like, Look, I don't even, I've never seen this guy. I don't know this man. Maybe you got information I don't have. He said, But I do know one thing. That though I was blind, now I. One thing I do know is that I used to couldn't see, and this man healed me. Verse 26. Verse 26 and 27 says this. Then he said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, this is important because this man has stood his ground so long. I mean, he brought his parents in, his mama, his daddy. I mean, they have done, they've asked people to come testify that this ain't the guy. They have done everything they can. And finally, the Pharisees looking at him say, now tell us one more time what he did to open your eyes. They finally have to lose a little bit of ground on the fact of, so he did heal you. Duh. That's what I've been telling you the whole time. Now, by this time, the man is like, y'all are not going to get it. Y'all are fighting it every step of the way. Even to say that, what did he do? Well, I done told you what he did. I've done told you and 12 other people. You've had me here for hours telling you what he did. How many times do I have to, you see that I can, you already know that I can see. And he answered them, I told you already. I love that. He done got to the point now where he's getting bolder. 
Now you're going to see that he gets bolder because they have to get weaker because guess what? The intellectual is fading. They're not as smart. They're not the one leading the room anymore. Here is a man who says, I'm proving you wrong. Now what are you going to do with it? He said, I answered, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now, he's, he's, he's throwing it at them now. Here's this guy, totally been disregarded his whole life, and he's standing there. Look, I done told you again and again, and you won't listen to me. Are you asking now because you want to become a disciple? Are you starting to believe? Are you starting to change? Are you starting to grow? But listen, unbelief cannot let go. It just regrips from another position. I told you in the beginning of this that they continually ask questions but never come to any knowledge. If, they, if they, you answer that question, they've got another question. I told you about the young boy who was asking. As soon as the, the guy answered his questions, he had another question and another. In fact, listen to me. In the video, and I'll show it to you next week, the guy finally asked him, he said, if I prove to you that, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that God is the creator of this universe, will you believe And the young man standing there at the mic said, no, probably not. You'd have to show me a lot of more information. In other words, there's some of you in this room, no matter what God did for you, you're not going to change your lifestyle. No matter what God did for you, you're not going to sell out. Whenever I meet with people all the time, it's real. It, I tell you, I can fix any problem in 30 minutes. I can fix any problem in 30 minutes. You've got an attitude problem. You've got a marriage problem. You got a, I, I can fix any of them in 30 minutes. Because here's how Jesus would fix. Jesus never did a counseling session. Jesus never. Here's what Jesus said. You want to be my disciple? Here's simple. Deny yourself. That means whatever you care about, don't care about it no more. Whatever you love, don't love it no more. Deny yourself. Whatever it is hurting you, quit hurting. Well, if I could just get something, quit, quit. If we could ever get this, no, 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 quit. Jesus had one counseling session I remember very vividly. He had two brothers that came to him, and one of the brothers looks at Jesus and says, look, this brother got more stuff than the inheritance than he did, and, 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 and I want you to tell him to give me my fair share. And Jesus just says, look, you just need to just go ahead and give me everything and forget about it and just don't worry about it no more. Can you imagine how that dude walked away from his counseling session? That man's an idiot. He wants me to give him everything. Yeah, deny yourself. You want to fix your marriage? It's real simple. Both people deny themselves and only think when they wake up in the morning, I got to make this other person happy. When I go to bed at night, I got to make this other person happy. What would make this other person happy? Do I need to sell everything I got to make this person happy? Do I need to change what I'm driving to make this person happy? Do I need to quit spending more to make this person happy? Do I need to do more? If both people come into it with that, you know what? You're going to have a good marriage. Otherwise, quit bothering me. 
Because as long as you're not going to deny yourself, you're going to do like the Pharisees. You will always have an excuse or another question. If I say, hey, you need to do this. Yeah, but Lord, how about it when they, when they do this? How about that? Just okay. Waiting through the middle of this thing. So Jesus looks and says, listen, you're going to have to stand sooner or later in this. Go back with me to verse 26 and 27. They admit to the healing. And they said to him, what did he do to open your eyes? He answered him, do you want, I've already told you, do you want to become his disciples? And here comes the reaction now from somebody who will never believe. They will never believe. And I'm telling you these things, guys, because as our world gets worse and worse, you are going to constantly confront people who will not believe you. I know this is not fancy. This is not cool. This is not... But I'm trying to get you in a mindset to understand you're going to tell people the truth, what happened to you, and people, and you're going to be so confused why your family doesn't, doesn't like it and why your mom doesn't like it. In fact, Jesus said it'll be your mom, your dad, your family, your kinfolks, your people that will look at you and say, you are crazy. What do I do? Here's what verse 28 says. Then they... I told you, when normal meets abnormal, and abnormal will not change or will not yield, they will get violent in other ways. If intellect will not work, they will become violent in how they talk, in how they speak. We talked about they're intractable. The word intractable means they can't be convinced. There's no, there's no amount of logic that you can give. There's nothing that you can do to tell them, hey, what else can I say to you? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. Let me very, be very careful and, and, and honest with you. This is why we and the Jewish people will never coexist. This was in Jesus's time. It is in our time. Listen to me very carefully. I'm all for Israel. We are to support Israel, love Israel. Got it. But listen to me very carefully. They do not believe in the Jesus you do. There is as much distance in that day and age when this man is telling them what Jesus did as there is today. You don't believe me? Get a plane ticket, go to Israel and start preaching Jesus on the street and see how long you last before they not only arrest you, but they ship you back to America. We appreciate your tourism. We love your money. But Jesus, at most, at barely, was a prophet. He was not the Messiah. Is that supposed to mean that we're we're against? No, 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 listen to me. I just want you to see clearly. Don't go ignorant on me. Am I for Israel? Do I pray for them every day? When it all wraps up in Revelations, who's going to be the centerpiece? 
Understand all that. But if you think, just like this guy, that you're going to tell your story to an Israeli person and they're going to fall in love with Jesus, you in a bad, bad way in your brain. That's not how it works. I've been on the tours. I've been there. You can't talk about it. It doesn't work that way. Listen to me. Because today is still the same as it was then. They are still cannot figure out who Jesus is. Let me tell you when they will. The Revelations tells you when they will. When he rides down that day on the white horse and he puts his foot on, and they're going to realize, oh, that was the man. There wasn't another man. There wasn't a different man. That was the man. That's when they will realize as a nation that Jesus Christ, the one they crucified, was their Messiah. And I just want you to realize that even to now, they revile him and say, you are his disciples, but we are for Moses. Listen to how they say this. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is. And that has not changed. We don't know where he comes from. Well, it's, it's strange because he, he makes it real clear where he comes from and who he is. He calls himself Elohim. He calls himself the I Am multiple times. In fact, in the book of John, believe me, this book was written so that you might believe. I told you this book was written so that you might believe. Well, listen, seven times in the book of John, he calls himself or speaks of himself as the I Am. Let me show it to you real quick. Go through the, the, the scriptures of the I am real quick. John 6 and 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never. He's saying, I am greater than the manna that they had in the desert. I am the bread of life. I am the one that sustains you. I am the one that takes care of you. You think they didn't know who he was calling himself? Go again. Right before this miracle takes place, here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the he uses the word, I am Elohim. He uses the word that I am equal with God. They knew exactly who he was. When they look and say, we don't know where he's from. He's done told them. He said, nobody can speak or do these things except they come from the Father. He said, and nobody can go back unless they've come here first. He said, I'm him. I'm sent from the Father. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He spoke this during the booth uh, tabernacle, the, the festival of booths. It's when they light a large candelabra. It's to represent that God led them through the desert as they slept in tents and did things. I wish I had two hours to teach all this to you, but, but he, he, he's showing them. And so he stands up with this large fire candelabra and he stands up on the last day of the feast and says... I am the light of the world. Not this little thing here. Not the, even the thing you saw in the desert. I am the light of the world. Anybody, listen to what he says. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of... Wow. Go again. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say unto you, I am the door to the sheep. 
Go again. And I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Show it to him again. Chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to him, I am the resurrection. He speaks this over the grave of Lazarus. He didn't say, I raised people from the dead. He said, I am the resurrection. He said, everybody that ever will be raised, it'll come through me. Anybody that ever comes back to life, it'll come through me. It's not at the resurrection. He looks at those people and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall go again. And he said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples when they look at him and say, we don't know how to get to heaven. We don't know the way. We don't, we don't know. Jesus said, I'm going, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they said, we don't know how to get there. We don't. He said, yes, you do. He said, you know the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through. Now, how are you going to come up with some theology where you can get to God any way and every way, where you can just any way you want to, anybody you pray to? When Jesus himself said, let me tell you something, there's only one way, there's only one door, there's only one sheep shepherd, there's only one light, there's only one bread, there's only one, and guess what? I'm it, brother. I'm it. I wish there was a plan B, but I'm it. I'm what the Father sent. In times past, he had sent the prophets to tell you. But in these days, he has sent his own son. Show it to him again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Except when it comes to me, Father, except through me. Jesus has done this multiple, multiple times. It's not that they didn't know who he was. It was not, it was, it was that he became an irritation. He was bothering them. Go to verse 29. I'll wrap this up. Y'all calm down. I'm going to get to verse 34. We got to get to verse 34 today. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. They're lying. They're lying. He has told them multiple times who I am, where I came from, why I was sent. It's why they picked up stones before this happened and were trying to kill him. Verse 20, verse 30. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing. Now, this is, this is where he crosses the line. Well, ain't this a crazy thing? He, they pick up on the word. He picks up on the word, I know. Because he's been telling them, all I know, all I know is I'm blind and can see. Now they come out and they want to talk about, well, we know. So he looks at them and he says, now this is a curious thing. Huh. And said to them, why this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he's from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know 
you got to understand, he's standing there for, now we know. Man, he knows this is my last dig. He's got nowhere else to go. But he's using this phrase, I know, to drive it home. Now we know. And he he drags them into this because he says, we know. You don't know where he's from. You know I can see. But here's something we do know. We know that God does not hear. Don't we know that? But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do. And he drags them in by saying, don't we know? Don't we know that there's a God? Don't we know that God only hears people who are righteous? That that He's not going to hear a sinner and heal a blind man that's never been able to see? These miracles have never happened before, and yet we know it. They answered and said to Him, You were completely born in sins. And you are teaching us. Ultimately, when you get to the point to where you have told your story and you have told who Jesus is and what he's done, even when you try just your best to make some connection with, well, don't you believe that Only God could do that. Unbelief is ultimately, number three, irrational. It doesn't have to make sense. Let me explain to you. The world one day when the rapture takes place and whatever takes they'll believe aliens did it before they'll believe God did it. I used to read Revelations, and I used to hear how, and this happened, and the people cursed God more. And I used to think, no, that, that was the hardest part for me in Revelations to understand. I thought, that, if anything was ever going to make me not believe in the Bible, that's what would do it. Like, that people would be like, Lord, if you, people disappear, I mean, you'll have churches full next Sunday because, man, it'll be like, duh, the rapture took place. We've been telling y'all for 2,000 years. The churches will be full. No, they won't. Because we can believe in transformers, aliens, Klingons, Starship Enterprise. But we can't believe God. That's the world we live in. And that world is going to keep running headlong irrationally. Because once you say there is no God, then you've got to, in your own imagination, come up with whatever you think might have happened. And the very God they don't believe, they curse. Because deep down, they have the evidence. So what do you do with the evidence? 
but yet you just want to be normal. I don't want to surrender to God. I don't want to give my life. Go with me to John. John 6, 64 and 65, and I'm through. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Brother Lot, what do we do in this crazy... Because you're, you're still winning souls, Brother Lot. I mean, all seasons is baptized 47 the other night. It's Wednesday night. How are y'all still doing this? Listen to me very carefully. We are doing nothing. I get so tired of these church conferences of how we're going to give you a new book to teach you how to get people in. And there's nothing wrong with structure and there's nothing wrong with organization. And we have that. And I'm thankful for all that. But listen to me very carefully. You can't convince somebody who's unconvincible to believe in a God they cannot see. We as a church, we share our testimony. We as a church, we tell our story. We as a church... We lift up Jesus on every occasion and we pray without ceasing for those who don't know Him. Because unless God changes something in their mind and in their thoughts, unless God changes something in your mind and your thoughts, no matter how much I tell you, no matter how many times you've sat in this church and heard me preach, you won't change. So before I come on the stage and when I leave the stage every Sunday, people's always like, man, why do you always go this way? Because usually I'm praying when I'm walking back. And I'm saying, God, I don't know who it was who came in that couldn't believe. But God, let something I said today break, shift, so that they finally believe, not just, oh, I believe Christmas and eat, but they believe in the God who doesn't just love them, but says, come to me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And don't fall in love with this world because the world that I've created for you is beyond this. So I don't know who you are this morning. I don't know who you're praying for this morning. There's nothing this man could have done any more than to tell his story. He's standing in front of people who know the word better than anybody. And he's saying, can't you see? You may have a relative. You may have a son, a daughter. You may have a friend that you're just like, I just can't. What do I do, Brother Lot? Keep sharing your story and begin to pray that God will open their eyes because therefore I say unto you that no one will in their own intellect and their own ability and their own figuring out will ever come to God.
It will take God coming to them first. And that's our prayer. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We have our marching orders. Oh, brother, Lot, man, it's going to be great. No, it's going to be very hard. You're going to get talked about, laughed at, made fun of. You'll probably be on some YouTube something or some TikTok something or somebody making. But that's okay. We know the truth. And that's all that matters. Will you stand? Father, this morning, there could be no better time for this sermon, this series during this holiday season. We see so many friends, family, we go to so many different activities or parties. Or... And there's this desire in us all the time to fit, to be liked. And I hope that we are. But Lord, we cannot in the middle of trying to be liked or to fit in to family, to, to compromise who we are. We were bought with a price. We were called out of our darkness by a Savior. And our job, our service to Him is to lift Him up. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. God, I pray that this season, in the middle of the conversations, in the middle of, God, we lift you up. And that not in just our words or just the way we say it or the tears that they see or but that you through the power of your holy spirit will convict will reach will touch and will draw people to you that is our ultimate goal in this life to win souls 80 years from now nobody will care where we lived what we did. It'll just be a marker in the ground somewhere. But every reward that will be remaining in our life will be what we sent ahead. Everything that we did good for you. Rust cannot touch it. Moth cannot eat it. God, that is the greatest thing that we have. And like this man, give us this kind of courage to stand and to boldly proclaim not what we don't know, but what we do know. And to share it with our family, friends, the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll give you a, kind of an understanding of this. We're in the Christmas season. Christmas trees or 
You're celebrating the birth of a Savior, Jesus Christ. You know where the most expensive Christmas tree ever was put together? Dubai. We've lost so much of our testimony that in the middle of Dubai, where it's illegal to try to win someone to God, they built a $10 million Christmas tree. It had Rolex watches on it and everything. It was just just in the middle of a mall. In the middle of Dubai. In the middle of Dubai. Where they'd mention his name. But nobody stands for who he is. Don't let that happen to us. Don't let it become a tree and presence and just a holiday. This is the greatest time of our life. Don't waste it. God bless you.